I think few things in life annoy delivery teams more than badly scoped requirements. There is right. nothing worse. There, and you, you, you'll have been there, I'm sure. There is nothing worse than picking something up that you know is going to take you three months and you've got four days to do it. Welcome to the Amazing Apps Show for Microsoft business applications creators who want to make amazing, agile, Dynamics 365 and power platform applications that everyone will love. G'day everyone, this is Neil Benson, your host for another episode of Amazing Applications. What role does pre-sales play in building amazing Dynamics 365 and Power Platform applications? If you're a Microsoft customer, the pre-sales process should help you visualize how your organization's current challenges can be solved with Microsoft Business Applications and envision the art of the possible. If you're a Microsoft partner, the pre-sales process should uncover your customers' business objectives, show them how Dynamics 365 or Power Platform applications can help them reach those objectives and highlight your business's capabilities in delivering the desired outcomes. Pre-sales can set you both up for success or it can completely misalign expectations and set you up for a car crash. In this episode, I'm chatting with Craig McGough, a Dynamics 365 customer engagement and Power Platform pre-sales consultant at Incremental Group. Check out his blog, at practicalpresales.com. Congratulations to Jessica Lee, Power Platform and Dynamics 365 Customer Engagement Consultant at IBM, and Ethan Weatherby-Fell, Project Manager at Factor. They are two more Customer Academy students who completed my Scrum for Microsoft Business Apps online training and achieved their Professional Scrum Master certification with Scrum.org this month. Well done to both of you. Start your Agile journey with my free Agile Foundations online mini course. In about an hour, you'll discover why I use an Agile approach to build business apps, the benefits and basics of Agile software development, which Agile certification I recommend, and how to achieve it. Visit customary.com slash foundations to enroll for free today. Okay, let's catch up with Craig McGough from Incremental Group and find out how pre-sales helps us build amazing applications. If you'd like to find out more about pre-sales, make sure you catch Craig's presentation at Scottish Summit on Friday the 9th of June. You can pick up one of the last remaining tickets for Scottish Summit at scottishsummit.com or catch his presentation on the Scottish Summit channel on YouTube afterwards. Here's Craig. Craig, welcome to Amazing Applications. It's fantastic to have you on the show. Thank you very much. How are you doing? I'm great, thanks. I wonder, just for the benefit of our audience who might not know you, if you could uh, give yourself a quick introduction. Yeah, absolutely. So I am Craig McGough. I think pronouncing the surname is probably a great place to start for anyone who doesn't know me because it's not the easiest. Uh, and I am a pre-sales consultant at Incremental Group. So I've been in, in the Power Platform now for a few years. Before that, I was uh, a Dynamics recruiter, Boo Hiss, I hear from the uh, from the back. Uh, and then I decided, decided to make the transition into the technical world did some time in delivery and, and yeah, now working as uh, as pre-sales consultant and, and, and absolutely love it. I've, I've definitely drank the pre-sales Kool-Aid, let's put it that way. That's something you and I have in common. We both started life as recruiters. That was my <laughs> first gig as well. I didn't do Dynamics recruitment. It was uh, way before Dynamics, but I, yeah, I was yeah, yeah. a recruiter. I started in 96. Did right, that for okay. four or five years. Yeah. Pro yeah pro proper it. recruitment. Yeah, and I was taking COBOL programmers from South Africa and helping them find jobs in Scotland to support Y2K projects. Nice. Long time ago, man. Well, I feel old talking about it. 
<laughs> and the question everybody has on their lips is, what did you have for breakfast this morning? A bit of, uh, you've, caught, oh, you've caught me on a bad day, but I'll be honest. I had an egg and salad cream sandwich, which is unusual for me. It's not something I would go to, <laughs> yeah. if I'm honest. It was really nice. If you haven't tried it, I would recommend it, but probably not for breakfast. Yeah, I'd, you'd have to you'd have to hunt high and low to find salad cream here in Australia. I think it's a thing of beauty. I don't know what's in it, and I don't want to know, but it's a thing of beauty. And your favorite Microsoft application? For me, it has to be Power Automate. I think, without exaggeration, I think Power Automate might be the greatest invention since the wheel. I think it is absolutely <laughs> okay. incredible. I think, especially in the pre-sales world, um, when we're talking about digital transformation and we're trying to show quick you know, snapshots of what digital transformation could look like. I think yep. Power Automate is incredible. There's a fanboy there. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And for anybody not familiar, what does a pre-sales consultant do? How, how would you define the role? I think it's a really big question and it's a very misunderstood role. I think we straddle lots of different areas of, of a project lifecycle uh, and we don't own many of them, which I think is where the confusion comes in. So I am responsible for assisting our sales and commercial teams, which includes marketing as well, to help turn the the interest in the Power Platform into tangible projects that we can deliver. But in reality, what does that encompass? So that is um, taking requirements, evangelizing the platform, building tailored demos, delivering those demos, being in workshops following those demos and making sure that we can accurately understand pain points, opportunity points, making sure that we can map that to a, a long digital transformation that is going to tangibly change a business, and then making sure that the requirements that we hand off to our delivery teams are accurately scoped in terms of time and effort. Uh, is, is the project actually doable in, in the timescale and with the budget that, that we're suggesting? But yeah, you're wearing many hats, but I think you you know ultimately being someone who can assist in understanding why a business might want to go through some digital transformation, being able to play back what that might look like, and then being able to codify that and hand that off to delivery. That's probably how I would define pre-sales. You know, I was presenting to a team of recruiters recently that asked me to come in mm. and give them a briefing on the Power Platform and all the different roles and the different technologies and what people do to help them become better recruiters. And we went through all the different roles, business analyst, project manager, and delivery and functional consultant. The managing director of this recruitment team said, but I don't understand pre-sales. Why do they get paid so much? <laughs> I was trying to explain to him that a great pre-sales consultant can win sales opportunities that others can't and yeah. set up projects for success in a way that others can't. It's a pretty, pretty critical role. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. <laughs> Do you think pre-sales consultants need or, or benefit from a background in delivery or in sales? You know, which side do you need to come from? Yeah, I think it's a great question, actually. I don't think you need either. I think if you had both, you would be it would be amazing. Of course, it of course it would. And I think you know I'm quite fortunate in the sense that that I come from an inherently sales background uh, in the recruitment yep. world. Um, and my first ever role was was selling phones. I think it's fairly obvious that selling a Nokia and selling a digital transformation project are, are very different, but it helps. Um, so I you know I came through sales and then I went into delivery and then found myself in pre sales. So I think it definitely helps. I think if you were if you were drafting a CV, I think having both would be a, would be a big help. But I think for for me, the biggest thing is just having a willingness to listen and to learn and to collaborate. And I think you'll have salespeople that can't do that. You'll have people that have worked in delivery that can't that can't do that. I think you need to be able to listen and understand 
pain points or needs and identify opportunities and and you need to always be learning about how you can maximize those you need to know your industry you need to know the platform you need to grow with it as both of those elements grow so i think yes it would be amazing if you had someone that had sales and delivery but i think as long as there's that willingness to learn i think you can pick both of those up so yeah i don't think i don't think they're vital but they definitely help you you mentioned industry knowledge or industry expertise there mm. that, that's a critical one but i don't know many pre-sales consultants who specialize in an industry a few do you know financial mm-hmm. services or they work for a, a microsoft partner that specializes in that and i know incremental group does a lot of work yeah. in insurance and financial services do you have an industry specialization or, or what happens if you get dropped into a health opportunity how do you handle that yeah so i, I do specialize now so i work um as you say i work for incremental on, on the fsi side of things we are incredibly laser focused on on what we do uh, in terms of my business unit we do have wider capability across the business but i have worked more generically in the past um and i i, I think it's i think it's easy to to miss the industry bit so i think it's about doing your research and, and making sure you're prepared i think we should generally be working to best practices that give us time to research our industry so whereas i am i'm surrounded by the the financial service industry every day I think if I was working at, at a more generic partner, should we say, and that's certainly not to be a, a disparaging um, comment there, I think you can still understand what's going on before you go into the conversations. I think my my concern would be anyone in pre-sales who thinks that the platform is enough. I think this is where I think the the, the real yep. risk comes from. Is you know it's all well and good explaining why you know leveraging uh, leveraging cloud-based apps and, and really nice automation with power automate and, and you know having that secured by the coe for example is amazing but if you don't actually understand how a production line needs to function on a day-to-day basis that's driving this conversation i think you're missing at least 50 percent of the conversation so i think you can definitely make sure that you're well prepared in advance I think there's enough research material out there that as long as we're giving ourselves time as pre-sales consultants to prepare before we go into these conversations that yeah, I don't, I don't think there's a, there's a reason not to be prepared, but yeah, I'm fortunate and I'm so, you know, uber specialized now that it, it makes a lot of that easier. It's very much by osmosis yeah. now. I think it's important that pre-sales consultants are, are up to date with business trends and what's happening. If you're the type of person that loves reading the business newspaper, or the business section of the news. And you're familiar with what's going on in the stock market, with the economy, with mm-hmm. politics, because those are the issues that are impacting the leadership of your customers. And you need to be able to talk their language and understand what's yeah, impacting totally. their business. I totally agree. I, I'm yet to find a project I've worked on where technology was the driver. It's it's the solution right. inherently based on what we do, but the technology technology is never the driver. And I think that's where that's where sometimes when you have people dipping into pre-sales or people who are new or I think that's where it goes wrong is that, you know, te- technology shouldn't come first. Technology is the, is the answer to the question, but often we don't know the question that's being asked. Um, and that's where, that's where the industry knowledge. And, and again, that doesn't have to be hyper, uh, hyper specific. It doesn't have to be understanding exactly how uh, an intermediary would go and, and process insurance workflows, but you, you know, you need to have a vague understanding as to why they would want to do that in the first place. And I think that's, right. That's where we are. Yeah, you're right. You need to understand the, the politics of the world, the economy, what's going on, what's driving things. And um, I think if you're, if you're in pre-sales and you're not doing that, I'd be pretty nervous, I think. I think you, you need to go in there armed as well commercially as you are technologically without a shadow of a doubt. You, you make it sound awesome. What's the best part of, of being a pre-sales consultant? For, for me, it's problem solving. Well, it's actually two things. It's problem solving and it's performance. I I, I love being that person who 
you know, when, when a question goes to the floor, my hand invariably will go up. I love being the person that gets on a stage and does karaoke, even though I can't sing. So that there's that element for, for, for me. It's kind of theater. I think pre-sales done well is kind of, it has a theatrical element of it, you know, the, the wow moments and the big reveals and that type of thing. But at the core of it for me, it's, it's problem solving. I mean, I'm a big people person. I'm a big people pleaser. And I really enjoy listening to pain points and turning them into solutions or listening to excitement about something that could be done and then, and then showing what that could look like. I get a real, I get a real kick out of that. And I think that's what took me away from delivery is that I felt that when I jumped in, that bit had already been done. And I almost had a bit of, um, I was a bit jealous looking over the fence thinking, oh, well, everyone knows what they're getting now. You know, it's kind of like turning up after everyone's opened their Christmas presents. <laughs> I kind of wanted to be there while it was happening, if that makes sense. So that, yeah, that, that's, that's the two best bits for me is like seeing, seeing the excitement or the relief when you either uncover opportunity or cover off pain and then the performance element that goes with that. So you don't miss delivery, you don't miss being billable and having to fill in timesheets and... No, I, re I really don't, if I'm honest. If it, I, love the, I love the fact that you do get a lot deeper in terms of your relationship with your clients. And I was very fortunate that when I joined Incremental, just for one example, I, I worked on a squad that was on, on a long process of work with one particular client and I became very, very close with stakeholders there. And, and you have that kind of, it almost feels like blurred lines between you don't have the the sides of the fence, you're, you're all kind of working to one aim. And that, that's amazing. And I think that is truly something special when, when a partner and a, and a customer is able to have that kind of relationship. But it was still not as fun as, you know, I still enjoy going, but guys, look at this, a lot more than I enjoy going, yeah, I've delivered the user stories that you needed. You mentioned there showing people the new stuff. Mm. And you know, we think about what's going on at Microsoft Build at the moment. There's lots of reveals yep. of power pages and... The, the what's it called the, the one that scans a, a document and converts yeah, it into off, a power off app. the back of Figma. Um, do pre-sales consultants need to be the first people to pick that stuff up and be able to get their hands on it and roll their sleeves up and learn it and then be able to talk about it and demonstrate it to, to clients yeah 100 percent, 100 percent. i think we we need to be at the forefront of, of everything that's coming and, and the reason why i guess there's two reasons why number one you don't want to be blindsided by your customer i think that is yeah, that, that's one of the pre-sales 101 is that you don't want to be in a room and have a customer tell you something that's on the roadmap that you weren't aware of. It's, it's not great. So I think that's number one. The second thing for me is that, you know, if you look at what we're doing at our core, we're constantly mapping yeah, yeah, customers, road, customers' roadmaps, customers' digital transformations and, and how we can impact that. And it would be incredibly unfortunate, in my opinion, if just because we weren't keeping on top of the trends, we had someone build something bespoke that cost them X amount of, of thousands right. of pounds that is off the shelf in six weeks time. So I think, you know, that's obviously a very big example, but, you know, I think we, we need to be mindful of the, the upcoming solutions to questions that we haven't been asked yet. And I think that that is hugely important. I also think that pre-sales done right has an element of feeding that into um, delivery. I do agree that, you know, FCs who are chargeable for, you know, their full seven and a half hours a day or whatever, probably have less of a, of a compelling factor to go and look at the latest stuff that's on that, that that's on the wave releases. But I think that's where pre-sales can help. You know, I, I'm a big believer that pre-sales is the, is the, the hub of the wheel, if you like, in terms of power platform. And in fact, I'm going to plug my session, which depending on when this goes out, might have already been done, but I'm sure it'll be, it'll be able to catch up, which is why pre-sales is the key to power platform success. And I truly believe it. This isn't, you know, it's, I'm not throwing out propaganda. I genuinely believe that. And I think one of the elements to, to answer your point there is that 
Pre-sales can be a hugely valuable resource internally for picking new releases up uh, and disseminating that information out to sellers or to delivery consultants saying, look, we've built this, isn't this cool? You know, And we can deliver a 25-minute internal lunch and learn session as opposed to getting an FC either to you know not do right. chargeable work or be picking this up of, of an evening uh, and looking at it. So I think, yeah, I think pre-sales has to be at the forefront for both your customers and internally as well. I'll give you a long answer to a short question there, but I hope that, yeah, no, I, I, I hope that made that. sense. Yeah, I love that aspect of, of of being able to evangelize internally as well as, well as externally. Mm. That's a, an awesome option. Tell me some of the highlights you've had as a pre-sales consultant. Any wins that you're super proud of your contribution towards or, or the best parts of the job that, that help you jump out of bed in the morning? I think for me, and this is going to sound like a very vague answer, and I apologize in advance, but I don't look at project wins. I look at what made that win special. And I think for me, I always come back to who or what was inspired by what we did you know i i spent time working for an isv uh, called mercury an incredible product ran ran and built by incredible people you know they they truly are in my opinion the best recruitment product out there it's, it's built on the power platform and it was amazing to see what could be done with that business but where i get really excited is where we've brought a lot more things from the platform in you know mercury for very specific reasons doesn't cover off all of the stack Whereas I get really excited by bringing in lots and lots of disparate tools and processes and pulling that together and and really f- making the platform as a whole flourish. And they're the projects that stand out to me where, you know, it isn't just sales or it isn't just service or it isn't just a bespoke Canvas app to do X. I get excited when it's bringing much more of it together because I think that's when the, the platform truly sings. That's when you get multiple stakeholders in a room. That's where you start to solve multiple pain points, you start to open up multiple opportunities. So when you can get into a business and you can really start to, you know, spread the roots out and the platform starts to cover every different area of that business and you get multiple different groups of stakeholders engaged and that's top down and bottom up as well, which is excites me. I think you need to bring users with you on the journey as much as you need to bring the C-suite and vice versa. So they're the projects that stand out for me where it's a it's true transformation and it starts from a lead or uh, a conversation somewhere or a referral or whatever that might be. And when pre-sales pick it up, it's just a genesis of a maybe. And then we take yep. it and we nurture it and we turn it into the real possibility that this this can be delivered and this is what you can get. And these are all the different people that can be impacted. That's where I get really excited. And they're the ones that stand out. And I think, you know, if there's Microsoft involvement there, you know, incremental and Microsoft work very closely because of our specialization. Again, it's a, it's another, it's just another layer of, this is amazing. We've got another group of people with their input, with their ideas that you can learn from, that you can bounce off, that you can share things from. You you learn from every person you meet. It's very cliche, but it's true. That's where I get excited. And I, so for me, it's not about that project because of X or it had that value or it was a hard demo and I brought it back around or whatever. I get excited about the ones where it was like, wow, this is truly transformational. And often that's that, that's part of a team. You know, we've got we've got a team of yeah. pre salespeople at Incremental and we we truly work collaboratively i think it would be really unfair to say any project that we do is the sole responsibility of one person you know you, you have to bounce ideas off each other so yeah I, i've not answered your question in terms of giving you names or specifics but you know to me what stands out when i think of good or exciting or you know if i was to look back on my career when i'm kind of said and done it'll be the projects where it was varied and it was a big big bit of work with lots and lots of people that'll stand out to me it won't be that was a two week lead cycle and we won a big opportunity and it was sales right. that that's never that's never going to stand out for me you mentioned a couple of things there i find interesting one is about bringing the 
the power of the entire power platform mm. into an opportunity? Do you need to be across all the licensing options and nuances in order to be able to do that? Or in your organization, does the sales team or commercial team handle that? How, how do you handle licensing questions and so on in your opportunities? Yeah, I think licensing is a is an art in itself, isn't it? I think it's, I don't know about you, but I get a little shudder every time I hear the word. I think, do you need to be mindful of it? Yes, absolutely. The last thing you want to be doing is selling the dream of let's get all these users on board and then, then you haven't spoke about licensing ramifications i think it, you know it's it's as important as i don't know it's a security for example like it's just a it's a core tenant of what we do that needs to be covered at incremental i think we're very fortunate in the sense that our sales team are very very good on the licensing side of things we might be different to other sales uh, pre-sales teams in the sense of that we probably lean on our sales guys for that more than they lean on us but i do think that could be very different in different organizations i think you know so for, for me i am I'm certainly mindful of it. I'm certainly mindful of when, for example, we're looking at things that might be restricted or things that are premium or things that might need an enterprise type license. But yeah. what I'm not is really down in the weeds saying, well, you know, actually to get it at scale, if you if you do this or that or the other, you might get this benefit or, you know, you can maybe look at using this license as opposed to this license for these reasons. I think for me, that probably falls to our sales guys more than myself. I'm probably very fortunate in that sense. The other thing that struck me is the type of opportunities you're working on, the types of digital transformations that mm. your customers are asking you to help them with, they, they sound pretty big. And in the last 10 years, I think I've probably worked on 10 projects that tend yeah. to be big enterprise digital transformation projects. Some of them have been multi-year, you know, two or three years. Others have been six or nine months. Yeah. But there's only been about 10 of them. How many opportunities do you think you get to work on in a year? And how long is a typical pre-sales engagement? That's a really hard question to answer because you could, I could throw that back and say pre-sales engagements for some of our clients never stop. So there's clients that we're, that we're doing work, pre-sales work with that were there before me and maybe will be there after me because of how big their transformation is. I think working in the financial industry, they aren't looking for a quick win because they don't need to. Since the recovery from the crash, they aren't looking to save a few quid or make a few quid here and there. It's not a case of, you know, if we just take this app that our fleet workers, if we just put them on an app rather than having them filling in paper documents, then we'll save X amount per year. They're not doing that. They're trying to truly reinvent at times how they go to market, how their customers interact with them, how their processes are, are done. And that is full root and branch change. So pre-sales never really stops for some of them. For some of them, it can be months and months and months of pre-sales. Some of it yeah. is existing clients who jump in and they want an addition to what we've delivered. And that might be a month's worth of requirements gathering, building a demo, getting that out, getting a statement of work together. So it's a really hard question to answer in our business unit because you could anywhere from six to eight weeks to five to six years, it wouldn't raise eyebrows. The financial services industry is going through a real step change at the minute. I think the crash raised a hell of a lot of uh, hell of a lot of concerns. I think what you're seeing at the minute is a real appetite for change across the board. We're looking at big, big, big pieces of work, and they can go on for a long time. But the rewards are huge in our industry if they get this right. If you can take a process, which we have done, that you know would maybe take three weeks, and have 
a horrendous dropout rate because people are just fed up of doing it. If you can change that into a process that's nice, that takes minutes, as a bank, you have to be making money. What we also have the benefit of is that we have people who fundamentally understand commerce. And that's not that's not me suggesting that other industries don't, of course. But what I mean is that you're you're literally talking to people who understand how to make money. So when you present them with an opportunity that truly allows them to to change the way they go and attack their markets, then they listen. So I think we're in a very fortunate position in the sense that we aren't swimming against the tide of really low costs, low IT budgets, and people who maybe don't understand why digital transformation is a thing. We're not operating in that world of 15-man businesses who, you know, they're pushing back against going to Exchange Online, for example. We're not swimming in those circles. What we are swimming in circles is where it's the other end of the scale where expectation is big, but opportunity is big. And I just love it. I love it. So changing gears a little bit, I'm thinking about mm. the qualities that a pre-sales consultant needs. How important do you think certification is both on the Microsoft stack, but things like Microsoft Catalyst or the implementation mm. methodologies? How, how broad a, a set of skills and certifications do you think a pre-sales consultant should have? Yeah, I think that's a great question, depending on where people are in their career. So I think for me, certifications were a huge tick in the box in terms of feeling like I was credible maybe before I was credible. I think it allowed me to sit at the table as early in my career and have the conversations and feel like I could justify it. I think if you're someone who has been in delivery for 10 years, you could maybe, you know, you may put less emphasis on, on certifications than, than maybe I did at the start. But I think from a product perspective, I think you absolutely need to be covering things like PL200 or PL100. I think, you know, you could probably get away with not doing you know, the, the first party app certifications, if you've got a good enough handle across the stack, but there's so much changes so quickly that I yeah. think everyone should be regularly taking those core certifications every time there is a, there is a big change in terms of the non-technical ones. If you like, you know, mentioned Catalyst there, which I think is a really timely bit of training to mention. So I, I've done my Catalyst training and it was eye opening for me. Genuinely, the amount of things that I realized that I did, but did either badly or to a really low level and thought it was enough after until I did that training was was really eye-opening for me you know I I think I just got a new perspective on how and why design thinking needs to fit into everything that we that we do do you want to just describe catalyst for people who are not familiar with it who might be listening yeah absolutely so so catalyst is really the branding of the idea framework which should allow us to go into businesses and look at ideation and taking and harnessing ideas and putting them through a, a framework which allows for repeatable success. It allows us to get better understanding the different elements of, uh, of how and why we should be taking a business who are trying to transform themselves into a codified set of outcomes at the end of it that will allow us to go and build requirements. So there's lots of different approaches to design thinking. Catalyst is the one that Microsoft are, are leveraging and I think it's I, I really enjoy it. But you know, cards on the table, I've never done any formal training in anything other than Catalyst in the design thinking world. But what it will do is allow anyone who has to go and evangelize or solutionize, horrible word, it will allow people to to be armed with exercises and tools and best practice and the why as to, as to why we would do that. I think, again, we talk about being prepared earlier in the conversation. There's a few things worse than walking into a room where you don't know what you don't know. And it, it's horrible and you don't know what's coming. The Catalyst framework will allow you to walk into those initial requirements gathering workshops, whether that's one workshop and one day 
or whether that's a stream of work. And it will allow you to plan and execute exercises that are repeatable that will allow you to eke out the real requirements of that, that business needs. I think it's fundamental to pre-sales, but I really urge every single person that's working on projects to go and have a look at that. It's it, Yeah, it changed my perspective. Every single person that I've spoke to really, really enjoyed the training. I don't know anyone that's come off it and gone, yeah, it was okay. Everyone that's come off said, wow, okay, yeah, that's given me a, a new perspective now. I think it's, I hate buzzwords, but I think I think that's the new buzzword that's coming will be design thinking because you know not everyone is operating in industries or with clients who are massively receptive to huge digital transformation. But right. that's where a lot of us need to be heading. And I think if we aren't armed with something like Catalyst, although I think Catalyst is the one that makes the most sense for most of us working in Microsoft partners, um, I think people might make things harder for themselves. I don't think it precludes you from doing you know, sensible and effective and really successful digital transformation, but it definitely makes life harder. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed the training as well. I, I took the training, it's online videos, and there's a few mm -hmm. kind of solo exercises that you do. But I would love some group exercises, particularly if you're working in a Microsoft partner, which is pretty big and um, selling digital transformation ex projects. Yeah. Going through it together as a team and yeah. brainstorming together and bouncing ideas off each other would have been, would have really cemented the learning rather than just yeah. watching a few videos. But I appreciate they're trying to educate thousands of people at scale and online learning is a good way to do that. Um, Agreed. So hopefully there'll be some options to go a bit deeper later. Yeah. Yeah, I hope so. Thinking then about setting up projects for delivery, mm. how much do you get involved in something very close to my heart, which is estimating them? Mm. How much is it going to cost? How long is it going to take? Is Craig normally the person who answers that or, or who in your team normally gets involved when those two questions get raised? Yeah, it, it, for us, it's a real collaborative effort and I'll kind of explain why we, we approach it that way. If we look at the three elements of, of successful kind of pre-sales work or the pre-sale work, if you like, we, we need someone that re represents delivery. We need someone that represents sales and, and we need kind of us in the middle as the the independent arbiter is, or the representative of the customer while these conversations are, are happening. I'm sure that there is no salespeople out there that would try and get a quick win. And I'm sure that there is no delivery leads out there that would try and add more time in to protect their team. I'm sure that doesn't happen, but let's assume it was to happen. We're there as a neutral person that tries to keep things on the straight and narrow. So for us, what we try and do is we try and represent all of those different elements of the triangle to make sure that everyone is comfortable. So the salesperson is there to make sure that fundamentally that's commercially viable for us as a business and to make sure that it meets the the budget that they've uh, spoken about with the with the customer because we are pre-sale i think some people have a uh, maybe an opinion that we are there throughout and we're not we come in when something is ready to have us get involved you know those conversations with only the seller they could last for months or years potentially talking about things that might happen so we come in when the time's right so the seller will be armed with all of this information around what the budget looks like, where the budget's coming from, who needs to sign off on the budget? Are there any things that we need to be mindful of? Is there any things like funding that we can go and take? Again, Microsoft do a great job of of arming people with funding to get them, you know, into the in, in the door and making the, the, the transformation a, a bit easier to kickstart. So we have the seller's interests. We then have the delivery interests. So we get our heads of our delivery uh, business units involved to make sure that. The requirements meet their standard. I think few things in life annoy delivery teams more than badly scoped requirements. 
There is right. nothing worse. There, and you, you, you'll have been there, I'm sure. There is nothing worse than picking something up that you know is going to take you three months and you've got four days to do it. So, someone somewhere is losing out in a very difficult conversation that needs to happen. And it's yeah. probably, probably you, then the client. So we need to have someone who represents the delivery element. Is this actually doable? First of all, you know, we're not selling, we're not selling unicorns on a stick and telling people that it's digital transformation. We're selling actual tangible change. So is it doable? Secondly, if it's doable, is it doable to the right standard? Do we have the capability? Yes or no. If we don't, we, we shouldn't be doing it. Simple as that. We shouldn't be learning on the job. We need to make sure that we're comfortable that we can do this. The final point is just making sure the requirements are, are understandable and they're, they're sensible, you know, whilst Agile is is phenomenal, and I know I'm probably about to preach to the <laughs> the person that leads least convincing about this that I could be. But Agile is phenomenal, but it does give people a, a place to hide behind a "we'll worry about it later" methodology. You know, Agile is not right. about worrying about yeah. it later. Agile is about making sure that that we're being you know reactive, um, and that we're doing things in a sensible manner, understanding that things might not be as entirely linear as we, as it could be. But at the same time, you need to make sure that people know what they're getting into from both sides. And then we're there to make sure that what we've promised up to this point is referenced in the documentation that goes to a statement of work. It's a real collaborative effort. And I think what that does, you know, our MPS scores, our satisfaction scores are through the roof as a business. And while whilst this isn't a party political broadcast for incremental group, I think that approach to estimation absolutely must help because you know, we aren't blindsiding people. We're not spending three months talking to a, a CTO, let's say, about a 35 grand project. And then all of a sudden, when it's time to sign off and it, it's 250 grand and it's going to take three times as long. We're not doing that. We're not hoping for the best. We're also not passing over to delivery and causing problems further down the line. We're also not underselling a salesperson that spent their time you know, building a pipeline that they think is worth X and all of a sudden is worth Y when everything drops out the bottom. Yeah. So it's a real collaborative effort. We we do we do have a lot of input into it, but we don't own it. We, we collectively own it. And I guess if we're really splitting hairs, the salesperson owns it until it's signed. But really, it's uh, again, it's you know, one of the big things that you'll hear from anyone that works at incremental. I'm guessing is team. There is a real divide and conquer, do it properly once mentality. Do you know, do it properly once instead of going back around the houses, and eventually you get it signed off. But you get it signed off by a customer who doesn't trust you anymore and is pretty fed up with the process. My old boss used to say, "Never let capacity get in the way of a good proposal." <laughs> uh, how much does the capacity of your delivery team? play on your mind when you're in that proposal stage are you working with the delivery needs to say hey look this is the size of the project how many people is going to need do you have those people where are we going to get them from are they on a project at the moment are we going to recruit them does that play in your mind whenever you're writing proposals or do you ignore that until it gets to the real pointy end and delivery no 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 for us it's vital it's it's absolutely vital yeah you, the, the last thing that you want to you know from from a pre-sales perspective you know i'm certainly not in a position that i can talk for you know, the commercial directors at incremental. So I'm just giving you my opinion here. Um, but I, I think, I think I'm going to be, you know, certainly speaking the party line here, but the last thing we want is to be getting people excited for their project. And all of a sudden we've got to put them on ice for six months. It's the last thing that you want to do. We, you don't want right. to be scrapping to recruit for a project that kicks off in four days. The market is not, uh, is not flooded with talent. So yeah, it's for us, it's vital. It wouldn't stop us having discovery workshops, conversations, doing demos, but we would always, always be mindful of the fact that if we're getting down to, you know, brass tacks and we're, we're going to start signing pieces of paper, that we need to be mindful of capacity and capability. I think capacity is not alone. It has to be capacity and capability. 
just having bodies right. to throw at something it, it's it's not it does not equal uh, successful teams i think you need to have enough of the right people rather than just enough of people so yeah we're very big on making sure that's right and that, that's again where the delivery lead will come in is that person you know the person who owns that team is the best person to tell us whether we can and can't do that project the salesperson give us all the reasons in the world why we should do it and I'm sure there's lots of reasons in every project why we should, but really until we know that we can, should is just a hypothetical pipe dream. You know, we get paid when things are delivered ultimately. You know, if we take yeah. it really down to the commercial elements, you know, when I was in recruitment, what goes on the board is vanity. And then what goes in your bank is sanity because you used to have a lot of people in recruitment drop out and they would say, yeah, I'll take yeah. an offer and you would, you would ring a bell or you would get a bottle of champagne. And then two weeks later, they would take a counter offer or they didn't want the job or whatever. So I had a real mentality of, until they start on day one in recruitment, you haven't placed them. We need to make sure we're delivering because until people are, you know, you asked me earlier about the question, do I, do I miss filling in timesheets? But until someone is filling in the timesheet for that project, we've not made anything off it. It's just been a cost up to that point. There's no sales opportunity closed until the first invoice is paid. A hundred percent. I'm saying, you know, yeah. you do, you, last, last thing you want to do, as I said, you know, and, and re this, this really, I don't, I don't want to get dragged into the, the, the commercial thing being the drive because the last thing you want to do is misrepresent to your clients what you can and can't do and when you can and can't do it. It's the quickest way to break relationships. What does the career path look like for a pre-sales consultant? You mentioned coming in, learning some new skills, delivery skills, um, sales skills, being able to r run a room facilitate a demonstration where do pre-sales consultants go from there yeah i still think pre-sales is very much in its infancy so i don't think there are very clearly defined pathways yet in my opinion i think that the ceiling at the minute definitely seems lower than other areas but i think the obvious ones that would stand out would be into kind of more core architecture you know, especially when we're looking at people who are doing pre-sales work around entire platforms or big digital transformation, I think there is definitely logic in someone who is more technically minded moving into a core architect role. I think on the flip side, yeah. if you've got someone who's maybe a bit more on the commercial side, maybe a bit more salesy, I would like to think I have a good blend of both. But I think if you if you had to make me choose whether I was more technical or commercial, I would say probably commercial. I think, you know, so for, for, for people who do come from into pre-sales from the sales world it might be that they go back into the sales world or they take more of a cco or a, a cro role you know chief revenue officer or they go down that sales path to it to a higher yeah. level i think the, you know it'd be remiss not to not to accept the fact that you have you know a managerial ladder to climb in pre-sales you know i'm very fortunate yep. that I, I work for a very 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 good uh manager who again, has kind of climbed that pre-sales architecture ladder and it brings a wealth of experience to me. I have a line manager who understands my day-to-day -day job. I think there's probably a lot of people out there in pre-sales that report into someone that's not quite the role that they're doing. So there, there is a, a, sure. growing, a growing market for, for managerial pre-sales personnel. And the final one I wanted to touch on, which is, and you don't see a huge amount of it, well, I, well, I haven't, but I, I'm hearing murmurs of these type of roles and it sounds amazing, which is kind of being in a, and I went out evangelist. So maybe like a vendor or a really big GSI or someone like that of going and, you know, being, being more of a, of an ever present evangelist. So rather than flying into a project, demoing it, winning the work, passing the good requirements on and moving off that you're always there. You're always there to, you know, to be talking about the power platform, how that can help. And you're not talking to clients on a client by client basis. You're talking to clients as part of a much wider conversation. I think that's really interesting. If that grows arms and legs, that could be a real game changer for the power platform, especially because 
if you look at the higher end of the scale, where there is simultaneously always something going on, but there aren't as many big compelling events where it's like, okay, we need this in by this day or we're in bother. I think that evangelist role could be a really interesting addition to to the armory and pre-sales people are the natural people to fill that gap, in my opinion. Yep. So I think that's one to keep an eye on for anyone who's interested in starting a pre-sales journey or anything like that. I think that's your four routes with that final one, much, much, much less developed than the others. But that's where that's that could be a real rock star role in the future. And yeah, we'll see how that one plays out. Yeah, I can think of one partner in Australia who has a, a person in a role like that, but there mm. are a few and far between. And it's, yeah, like you said, it's an evangelist role where you're running workshops, you're doing education pieces, you're doing industry events and talking about the capability of the power platform, but also yeah. your organization's ability to help clients on that journey. And you're really not in, in the details of an individual opportunity with an individual Perspective yeah, that, that's it. I think that could be a real game changer in terms of getting people bought in on a bigger scale than just transactional pieces of work. Craig, is there anything else I should have asked you about in, in your pre-sales role? No, I don't think so. I mean, I, I think it would be it would be terrible of me not to plug my blog while I'm here. So my blog is is practicalpresales.com. My blog is aimed at people who either are new to the pre-sales world or for those uh, consultants who who occasionally get dragged into pre-sales and think, well, I don't really know what I'm doing here. Uh, sadly, there are more more of them than I think we would probably like. Pre-sales is still a very niche skill, a bit of a dark art for many. So my blog aims to give real real tangible advice on things like how to set up a demo, you know, how you should approach things like smoke and mirrors. What what is that? Do I need to be scared of that? So it's still very new the blog, but. Yeah, please do check it out and, and, and get in contact if you've got any questions on that. Uh, apart from that, I think we've covered a lot, but pre-sales is amazing, so I'll, I'll live with it. I haven't had a pre-sales consultant or guest on before in Amazing Applications, and I think it's a vital role for setting up the delivery of what I am passionate about, which is Amazing Applications that stakeholders love. And yeah. we ignore the, the critical role. Well, I have ignored the critical role that a pre-sales consultant can play in, in framing it, in setting us up for success or passing us a hospital pass that gets the team flattened with misaligned expectations. Yeah, hundred percent. You know, it, there is so much opportunity if it's done right. And I truly believe again, plug my Scottish summit 2022 session. I truly believe pre-sales is the key to success, but you're right. If it's done badly, it can, it can be disastrous. And that's why I think, you know, if you can get specialists in to do it, don't, don't ask your FCs or, or, or technical consultants to do a role that isn't really their skill set. They are very different skills. So you're making your way up to Glasgow in a couple of weeks for the Scottish Summit. We'll make sure we include links to your session in there. Thank I you. guess it, it's back up uh, a visit back up to HQ for you. Yeah, it is. It's uh, I'm, I'm able to factor it into my to my regular visits, which is nice. It gives me a bit of bit of familiarity to be on home away from home turf. Well, Craig, thanks so much for joining me on Amazing Applications. It's been a fascinating discussion. I hope you enjoyed it as well. I did. It was great. Thank you very much for having me. Thanks so much for listening to the Amazing Apps podcast. You can join the show's mailing list at amazingapps.show. You'll get a personalized welcome video from yours truly and a notification when there's a new episode available. There are also shortcuts so you can follow the show on all major podcast players. And you can follow Amazing Apps Show on Twitter, LinkedIn, YouTube, Instagram, and Facebook. You can send me a message or a voicemail if you'd like your question answered on a future episode and even support the show through Buy Me A Coffee or by buying an Amazing Apps t-shirt. 
visit amazingapps.show. Thanks again for listening. I really appreciate you. Until next time, take care and keep sprinting.